Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. This is the podcast for feminine and masculine embodiment, as well as relationship coaching and healing. We do a lot of fun things over here, and today's podcast is no exception. Actually, it's like, wow, I'm just, we just finished this, and I am so blown away by the deliciousness that we just experienced together our guest Genevieve and myself. Genevieve is your go-to expert on the erotic. She is a sexual expansion speaker and guide who has been influencing the erotic arts for the past 15 years. Genevieve is a certified erotic blueprint coach and erotic blueprint master trainer, and she's also certified in somatic-based chakra therapy by Anodia Judith, author of Eastern Body, Western Mind, and Wheels of Life, and has a background in psychotherapy graduating magna cum laude from Marymount Manhattan College in NYC. Through her transformational online group events and workshops and one-on-one sexual mastery mentorships, Genevieve guides you in freeing your sexual conditioning so that you can show up fully and rediscover your sexual, wild, passionate, liberated self. Some highlights from today's episode include that we speak about her open satiating relationship with her fiance. We speak about non-monogamy. We speak about trauma. And we go very deep into Genevieve's background and story with that trauma and how it catalyzed her into being this open, pleasurable goddess that she is today. And there's so much that we can learn from her and her experiences. So know that this is definitely one of those episodes where we go into some dark love. We speak about her past of being a dominatrix, and we're going to be touching on a lot of different sexual points and sexuality uh, aspects. So you might want to wear headphones for this one, and if you are in the beginning stages of your healing journey, just know that this episode is going to be going into the deep end and use your own judgment on where you are in your journey. If that feels like something that would be supportive to your healing process, then please dive on in because if anyone is going to be the most honest and the most um, transparent person to speak about their sexual experiences, it's Genevieve and it's for a good reason because it's brought her to some magical places where she is today, being one of the most free humans I've ever met and she's an inspiration to us all. Genevieve also teaches in my uh, CSU Society course. She teaches a hour and a half, if not two hour workshop on your erotic blueprints, which I was just speaking about in her bio. She is certified as a master trainer and she does an excellent job at teaching people what their flavor of eroticism is. So if you want to get that class and move through an eroticism workshop, you can go to maddiemoon.com forward slash sisu dash society. It used to be my group coaching program. It no longer is. I've now combined all 17 classes into a course that you can sign up and buy and instantly receive all of them. So if you want to learn things like this, your erotic blueprint, but also be able to dive into feminine embodiment and practices and tools and how to reveal to the masculine the truth of your heart and also learn about self-care tools for your body and yoga and movement and expressiveness. All of this is in the Sisu Society and more. You can read about it on that page. And that's all I'm going to share for today. Let's go dive into this episode with the beautiful Genevieve. Genevieve. 
welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. We are here today with a very good friend of mine, Genevieve. Genevieve. And it's so <laughs> exciting to have her on the Mind Body Musings podcast finally because it's been a while in the making. It is so good to have you here. How are you this morning? I'm delicious. Thanks so much for having me. All that my mornings are always so yummy because I spend three hours orgasming before I do anything. Okay. So. Before we do anything else, explain. We have to what does this look like from the moment you wake up to the moment you actually do some like quote computery work? Okay, great. So I'm up at 5:30 in the morning because I have a child, which, which was a surprise. We were just talking about that. And my sweet son wakes up and is, I love children when they just wake up because they're not full of their ego crap yet. Like they're still in there like, I love you, mama. And so we cuddle and we read books. Um, and then he heads off to his thing. He's always been very social. So I have him in like a little private school that he loves. Mm. And, um, then I come home from that. And when I come home from that, I have a two and a half hour ritual that I practice in the morning. Um, my partner, Sabrina leaves the house because that's me claiming my, my queen mm. space every morning, every morning is gone for two. Where and do they hours. go? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> guessing I mean they love nature so like right now they're out hiking um so often it's like going to check out a new park or something but often sometimes it's just like they go to the coffee shop and sit there and write for them yeah it, it, we both need that space and why yeah. not claim it you know so um then yeah I put my playlist on and I basically just roll around on the floor naked for about two hours <laughs> and during that mm. time it's like I'm bringing pleasure in, but then I'm also crying and then I'm also mm-hmm. envisioning and then I'm also, I don't know, this morning there was a lot of like feeling into what's next and like letting it birth into my body and letting myself drop in with it so that my mm. energy can be aligned to it. Um, and then I slowly get up and have like a really nourishing meal. Um, and then I read usually a little bit. And then I don't start, I never, ever turn on my computer or my phone until 11 in the morning. Mm. So um, then at 11, I'm ready. Like I'm yum at that point. So <laughs> that's exquisite. And one yeah. thing I, I remember speaking with you about years ago is this like um, meticulousness you have with boundaries, which I love because I don't know, I think sometimes there's this idea that feminine goddess like exquisite teachers in their pleasure are just like really oozing all over the place because that's their lifestyle and like what you're proving here is that the deeper the no the deeper the no to what is not going to serve you the deeper the yes that you get to go into all that pleasure but you have to you have to like stand at the fortress and protect yeah. it. You can't let this leaky energy come in. Even not that your partner, of course, has leaky energy, but that's so fucking cool that you like have that kind of boundary, even with your partner. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, if there's no container for my orgasm to hang out in, mm-hmm. right. If I don't have a three hour container, what happens? You know, the mm. societal crap comes in, you start working, you get stressed. It's like, ew. So mm. I have to claim, I think because of the way that our world is set up, it's, it's even more important to claim the first part of your day that way. Yeah. You know, so then when you're bombarded, you're like, whatever, I'm God. What? 
<laughs> it's like not a problem. Yes. <laughs> you know? Oh, so good. So good. So I want to jump right into your story. Like you've yes. just, I feel like you've lived so many lives <laughs> and that intrigues me about you. Mm. Um, you, you have so many different avenues and interests and passions and like you're, I'm, I imagine you're hired for many different reasons by different people because they see in you something else. I imagine everyone sees something unique in you that they want. And it's not that you market yourself as I'm this one thing. It's like, I'm all these things. What do you want? The buffet yeah. of Genevieve. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I've always had all of that. I mean, it's been, I, I feel like we're here to experience life and, and fully. Right. So I'm not just going to go one track. That's boring. I don't, I want to have all the experiences. Um, and it just like, I, I was thinking back as I have a friend of mine coming over on Saturday, I'm having a birthday orgy on Saturday for my birthday. And a friend of mine that I've known since I was 12 is coming over and he was a punk, uh, basically like the lead singer in this very cool punk band called three prong outlet when I was a kid. <laughs> And I was like the hot, slutty 12 year old. Like that was how Genevieve showed up. But what was interesting is I'd go to these punk shows in these basements outside of Baltimore where I grew up. And my parents were uh, kind of musician. My dad's a musician. He's a brilliant fucking musician. Mm. Um, and my parents are like artist types. So they've always really nurtured my desire to go and explore and create like I've been very like ooh, what's that and they're like go check it out I don't know um That's amazing <laughs> so good um and so I was doing that at 12 I was going to all these punk shows but then this is just to to give you an example of how I've always done all the things at once so I'd I'd go to this punk show and then I'd leave at 11 o'clock and I never, I didn't smoke pot until I was like 17, which is late for me, considering I was already, you know, doing everything and everyone around me was high. Um, and I was like, no, I'm going home at like 10 or 11 because I have ballet class tomorrow morning at eight in the morning. And I, I, so ever since I was a young age, I had this deep, deep, deep love of ballet and dance. But then I also had this crazy rebel in me that was like, go fuck everything up and like go to all the craziness. And I've always kind of been all of it. And in my teenage years, it was, it felt like they were kind of fighting each other. Mm. You know, I would go to ballet with bright purple hair and that wasn't okay. So I mm. wouldn't get, you know, and, and then as I've aged, I've learned that actually it's the same thing, like the dance or the body and the, the, the party or the play live in the same place. I just didn't know that at the time. And, um, so yeah, so I've always played with all of that. Um, and I've always had a pretty strong, my dad, my parents always told me that like, I've always been super determined. I knew, um, from very young that I was supposed to make an impact. And I, and I don't mean to say that in like a hoity toity, like I'm, I'm amazing. Cause I am. And so are you. And so is everyone. But I knew at like six years old, I would look at people and I was like, I'm supposed to change the world. This is not cool. Like mm. don't like the way that's showing up. Um, and so I got really curious because I, cause I didn't know how I was going to change it. And so I let myself put my hands in a lot of different pots. Um, I studied like paganism when I was 12, like, and then I went to like Buddhist temples. Like I did the whole thing. Cause I was trying to figure out what was that 
what was that tool that I could use to make the impact that I knew I was meant to make. Mm. And then it all started dropping in. Um, a lot of it was, you know, oftentimes our greatest tool is our greatest wound growing up. Right. And yeah. so for me growing up, I had a lot, I write, I write about this in my book. I didn't actually know what safety was as a child. Like I didn't understand that my body was safe, that I would go to sleep and wake up alive. Like that wasn't something that registered. I remember every moment being like, who's going to die? Am I going to die? Who's going to die? Mm. And like this massive fear because of the chaos that I grew up in. So my parents are incredible fucking people, but they're, you know, they were like the hippies. So they would, they were smoking all the time. They were dropping acid all the time. Like I didn't actually have someone to ground me and say, here, child, you're safe. Mm. And so, and then sexually, it was the same way from really as soon as I can remember, my first memory is three years old, all the way through until gosh, the last time there's been some sort of sexual issue, it was like three years ago. So mm -hmm. I've always had my sexuality also be a place that was, it almost feels like nowadays it's and like, if I look back on it, I feel like what happened was people saw all the power and all the light, right. in in my being, and they just didn't know how to handle it. So a lot of people, I was molested. I was raped multiple times. Like I only knew sex as violence and pain. Um, and that was, that was it. I didn't know pleasure at all until just a few years ago. So sex was violence and pain. Um, a few and, years ago. Yeah until a few years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I didn't, curious. the first, so the first turning point was definitely when I became a pro dom. So before that, what had happened was I was basically just a big drug addict ballerina. Like you can kind of just like <sighs> stereotype me as like the cokehead withering away ballerina oh. type. Right. Um, and I moved to New York city because I was, I felt so lost because I knew that I wouldn't be a prima ballerina just because of the way my body was. Mm -hmm. And I had no actual relationship with my body other than my body is a tool to get me to where I want to go. It was like, that was it. So I didn't actually learn, know how to talk to her. I didn't know any of, it was like a, like a tool, right? Like a, just something I could use my vehicle. And so I was totally lost. I moved to New York. I quit dancing. I stopped using drugs and I was like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> like, I don't know who the hell I am. And I was 18 and I was broke. My parents never had money. Um, and they were, so they weren't going to give me any. And I had been homeless before. So I knew homelessness at this point, but I was like, I don't really feel like being homeless in New York. Like it was okay in Baltimore because people are sweet in Baltimore and they'll like give you bagels and it wasn't really that bad, honestly. <laughs> like it was quite nice. Um, I don't know if I'd call it nice, but it was an experience. It was a fun. So when experience. you say homeless, yeah, where did you sleep? I slept outside underneath a bench in like a roundabout circle wow. for about two months. But the I wasn't always underneath the bench because sometimes people would take me in, and then I would have like a couch to sleep on for a night or two nights. And or what whatever. age was this? Sixteen. 16. And so if people took you in, no, did anyone take advantage of you in those instances? Yeah. So many times, oh. but I, at that point it was doing so many drugs that I don't remember mm. any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, it was this weird experiment for me in 
survival. I think I really wanted to know, like, can I survive this? Yeah. I don't know why I needed to prove that to myself, but at 16, I needed to kind of go to the depths of shit and Mm. like figure that out. And then when I came out alive, I was like, oh, I have nothing to fear. (laughs) I was like, just, just kidding. (laughs) Like I don't, I have nothing to fear. I've done all of it. Mm. Um, and so then at 18, I had a girlfriend at the time and I had always, I've always, I've never looked at gender in dating people. I've never understood that it just doesn't fit my body of like, to me, it's whoever comes for forward and wants to be loved. I'm going to love them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had a girlfriend who said to me, Genevieve, you, you should really look at being a dominatrix. Like, cause we had really kinky sex at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the kinky sex was, I was dominant in those, in that time was because I had so much inner rage from all of the molestations and all of the rapes. And I didn't know how to let it out because a ballerina can't be angry. Right. So I didn't know how to do that. And so sex was like the place that I chose to let out all my rage. Um, And I would drink or do drugs so that it was like even more permissible and acceptable. Mm. Right. So we had crazy kink, kinky sex. And she said, I think you should do this. So I went on Craigslist back when you could get jobs on Craigslist. <laughs> um, and I saw an ad for um, a dungeon space in New York. And um, I went in there slightly nervous, but also I'm used to putting myself in these kind of positions where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? You know? Yeah. So I, I did that and I sat down with this man who owns the dungeon and he was actually like the biggest sweetheart like it it ended up being one of my favorite employment opportunities that I've ever had Mm. they were so nice the managers were amazing the place was clean we had security they checked in with our emotional well-being we got training I was trained for a week before they gave me clients like who does that what what dungeon (laughs) would you you can't find one you know um I was blown away. I was like, this is so cool. And then for the first time I started to recognize really, that was where I stepped into my own sexual power. I started to realize, oh, my sex isn't for other people. Cause at the, up until that point, it was, I'll have sex with you and you give me a place to stay or I'll have sex with you. And then I'll get a straight A grade. If it was with a college professor or I'll have sex with you. And then whatever. Like it was a transaction mm-hmm. and I knew how to work it. Like it was, a, it was a power that I was like, I can figure out how to work this, but I'm not enjoying it. I'm just doing it. Cause I have to. As a ballerina too. That's really interesting of like using your body to manipulate the stage. You're creating art and your, your, your body literally from what I see in ballerinas is about manipulation and contortion. Totally. So it's really fascinating. <laughs> same thing. Yeah, it's totally the same thing. So the pro dom work was so cool because I, I just remember standing there. I have so many visceral memories of standing there in my high heels and my lingerie. I was like 18 and these like 50 year old men would pop in to the room and just kneel before me in like this deep honoring. And I was like, what is this? Like, I have never, I didn't understand like, whoa, I have that much power. I did not know that. And they're not trying to have sex with me. And there, there, it's no trans, like the transaction is just, I'm going to pay you to hang out and be in front of you was like a lot of what it was. And I was like, ah, 
Whoa. And then not on top of that, they would pay me to yell at them, (laughs) (laughs) which I so needed at that time in my life. Like so needed. I remember so many sessions where I would just rage on these people. And I was like, thank God. Like I needed that so bad, Mm. so badly. Um, so that training I think was the cattle. I also, before then, believe it or not, couldn't, I didn't have any voice before then. Like I was really mm. shy, which is mm. weird. Cause nowadays people are like, Genevieve, what the fuck you do? You're not shy at all, mm. you know? Um, but part of it was because when you're do- being a pro dom, they want to hear words from you. They want to hear you say things to them. And that, I remember that edge for me of like, Oh, can I really do this? <laughs> is this okay? Is that the right word? Does my voice sound sexy? Like I'm just- not going to hurt their feelings so badly. Like that, that would be what would come up for me is like, am I going to crush their spirit and like hit that one insecurity? That's going to complete. Did that ever happen to you? Where yeah. like you did have people that were like, that's too far. Yeah. I only had one time and it like, it's etched in my memory. Cause it was only once. And I saw hus- like hundreds of clients. Usually they want you to push them over the edge and that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, with this client, I remember he traveled all the way from Minnesota to come see me. And his kink was that he, um, he wanted to dress up in a tutu. Funny, the ballerina. I'm just now making that that coincidence. Oh. He wanted to dress up in a, a tutu and sing and then have me and a bunch of my friends, so other dominatrices, uh, laugh at him and make fun of his voice and tell him. And so I didn't know the backstory of this, but what happened was we did it really well. Like, I'm really good at laughing at people. <laughs> So he was in a cage with the tutu on. I remember this and he was singing and then he, he gave us a red. So in the kink world, when you say red, that means stop. I'm triggered. Like I'm in a trauma response. Uh. And so I immediately, we know what to do because we were all trained. Thank God this place is so good. So all my girls left and it was just me and him. And I sat down next to him and he's just sobbing. Hmm. And I was like, what's up? Like, what's going on? Um, and he explained that his mom, when he was a little boy, never thought that his music, his art, his voice was good enough. Mm-hmm. And so he had this deep insecurity around his music, even though he knew he was a musician and a singer. And it just, I, it, he said something like, it reminded me so much of that moment that I went into a flashback and, you know. Um, Is it, and, okay, Go question ahead. isn't that why he wanted that yes because that's you know that makes a lot of sense why he'd want you to laugh at so he could touch that place within him yeah feel it and heal it it totally <laughs> was and, yeah. but you and it's not it's not bad if you trigger if they get to a point of trigger like mm-hmm. it's not like oops I did something wrong or they did something wrong it was a healing process by the two of us sitting I basically became his therapist for the rest yeah. of the session and mm. I was like, I'm just going to hold space and love you here, you know, um, which is all they really want. All yeah. Of them anyway, especially with this crazy stuff, you know, they just, I don't, I don't even want to say crazy, but with this kind of, it's a subculture, right? It's not things that are in our mainstream mm-hmm. for me to look at them and be like, that's awesome. I love you. Like, that's not what people are used to. So, um, and it, so yeah, I mean, be receiving unconditional love and space holding from the person that in his mind is representing the person that hurt him the most. Bam. So much nervous system healing right there. 
yeah, we, I've had a lot, we had a lot of sessions that did that alchemy without the trigger breakdown. And to me, that's what kink is, is like, you have to find the edge and then turn it on because mm. <laughs> there's, there's a natural arousal, you know, when you're in it. So I, one of my kink edges is like a deep, deep surrender. And I don't do it with very many people. I only started submitting, we call it in the kink world, like four years ago after I had my son. Um, and so I have one dominate, dominate, dominator, one Dom in Brooklyn and he'll tie me up, flip me upside down and, um, and then basically scare me shitless, like scare. Cause remember my earliest wound was I'm going to die. So I, I go to fear of death with him. And to me, that's the only, it's like, that's where my arousal is because it's the place that I get to reclaim my power from. Yeah. Right? And every time I'm in, like, he'll give me orgasms, which is not even necessary. I can just have them nowadays from flipping upside down. But if he wants to, he'll give me orgasms while he's scaring me to retrain my nervous system toward pleasure in the fear, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, get so giddy hearing about this. I'm like, Oh yes. Going to your edges. I had one that was, um, I, so I, I wasn't, it wasn't in a, um, an actual, it was like reenactment with clothes on. So it wasn't fully any kind of penetration or anything like that. But one of my, um, taboos I was working with was having three men who were all in the entertainment industry deciding if I was good enough to play the main character role. And they all objectified me and they, in this reenactment would have sex with me while not talking to me, asking me how I like something. They just look at my facial expressions or they're watching my body. So there was a part, there was a nourishment around that as they were feeling what my body was saying without my words, which I actually felt really hot. Like, I don't yeah. even need to speak. They're so in touch with my body that they know what I like and what I don't like. But there was also a little bit of that objectification in there where like, mm -hmm. I'm just a piece of meat that's going to play this part or whatever. And of course, there's also this one is still alive for me, the idea of, of two or three men, because I've actually never been with two or three men before. Mm -hmm. And there's something really alive around that for me right now. And I feel like that's my my edge, my curiosity and something that I'm, I'm actively going to manifest because I want to experience that. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, oh, it's so cool. It's just so, so fun to meet these places within ourselves. Yeah. I had one I'd love to share recently that, well, yeah. not recently, this is like three years ago, but so one of my rapes as a kid, the one that I remembered the most that like came through quick, the quickest was because I was older, I was 13 and it was a, a boyfriend, which is why I didn't think it was rape forever and ever. Cause I was like, boyfriends can't rape you was my at 13. That's what I knew. Um, but it was an anal rape and he like mm. threw me in a closet and it was, it was really violent. It was a lot of blood tears, all of that. Um, but I still didn't know. It's wild to me that I didn't know. I couldn't sit for like two and a half weeks and I had no idea that's what that was. And a friend of mine from middle school I remember she was sitting over here. We were having dinner in my living room because in New York, you have dinner in your living room. We were having dinner in my living room and she was like, Genevieve, don't you remember that you couldn't sit down? Like now that you look back at it, can't you see that for what it was? And I, it was like light bulbs. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And it made sense because 
after that moment, I wanted nothing to do with anal sex. Like I remember I was a strong no, even when I was crazy kinky and I didn't even want to like giving it to people was even a trigger. I was like, ah, I, I don't like butt stuff at all. I don't want butt stuff in my life. And I was very finicky about it, but everything else I was like, yes, give me more. So it's interesting that I had that no. So that, that happened. And then I, my ex-boyfriend <laughs> who I, I love dearly, he's not any, any longer, you know, part of a relationship with me, but he was awesome. And he was great for that moment. Mm -hmm. He came in and to my life and we're sitting there on like maybe our second date and I get right to sex on dates. Cause that's my comfort space. Like, I'm like, this is easy for me. Um, and I think it helps the other person feel comfortable too. I like to talk about turn on on dates mm. and boundaries and all of that. Um, so I asked him, what's your biggest turn on? Like, what's, what do you love doing sexually? And guess what his answer was? Anal sex. Yeah. He was like <laughs> anal sex, hardcore. Like it's everything. <laughs> and I was like, we're never doing it. I just told him straight up. You're never going to have that with me. Like, I don't know. I can't go there. And so we dated for about a year and a half. And throughout the time, I remember maybe about six months in, he didn't bring it up at all. Like he just accepted the no and was like, okay. Mm -hmm. But about six months in, I started saying, I want to learn how to open myself this way so that I can, I don't know. It was just like with sex, you always have these, these ceilings to hit and, and ways to expand. And I was like, this is definitely my next place to play mm -hmm. in. Um, so I remember it took us about a year, really slow. This is, you know, for anyone that's out there, that's thinking about having anal sex, don't do it quickly, please. Like take a long time. It should actually be that the person's not penetrating you. You're actually coming to the person, right? So it's a very different energy than what I think a lot of people are used to so that you don't have any tears or pain. Right. So we, we did it. And I remember I had on the first time. I had this crazy, amazing anal orgasm, which I had never had before. And my whole body, it was like a tornado. I was like, this is amazing. And I start crying, like just bawling afterwards. And he's holding me. He's like, are you okay? And I start cracking up in my tears. He's like, what's going on, Genevieve? And I said, I'm thinking about how nothing can stop me now. Like, if the one place that I had felt so much pain in and that guy, Jason, that had raped me, right? Like I was putting, I was still, I had like a, a crutch against him still. I was still holding this place of like that fucker, right? But in reclaiming my anal orgasm, I was like, well, fuck you. You don't own me. You can't take my body. Like I get to experience the pleasure here and you don't get to affect it. Hmm. And it was this moment of like, ah! can do anything and our bodies are amazing. And, um, yeah, I mean, things like that happen all the time, but that one was really major. And, um, and that's, that's the type of alchemy that happens in kink and BDSM as well. I see mm. it all the time. Oh, wow. So beautiful. This yeah. makes me think of a question because I, I, I feel that there is a bit of a, a tight grasp that women or humans have around that story of why they can't feel pleasure or why they shouldn't feel pleasure. And I wonder if there's a point where it becomes more of an ego attachment of like, it's like they're uh, not, it's kind of like martyrdom. Like I just refuse to experience pleasure 
And that's the way it's going to have to be for the cause of not feeling pleasure. And you having gone through all of that trauma in your life and having had had this beautiful opening moment and finding pleasure in the reclamation of your body, what would you have to say to people who are still in that before phase or, or feel resistant to, to being vulnerable to feeling good? <laughs> I think what they're I, I love it. There's always these moments with my clients where they'll send me an email or a voice message or something. And they'll say, Genevieve, I just realized it. <laughs> I said, what? What'd you realize? And they go, I haven't been having pleasure because I'm terrified of my own power. Mm. And that's always what it is, right? It's always that if I have pleasure, the fullness of me will pull, will, will do something to my marriage or the fullness of me will change my career or the fullness of me will shift my identity. And yeah, it will. <laughs> and that's what people are so scared of. They're like, because mm. ah, they've put their safety in these external places, right? Mm. And, and they're afraid of shaking things up. So mm. because it, your life does change drastically when you put pleasure first. It's just, that's just the way it goes. And, and thank goodness, because the life you were leading beforehand is like, eh, you know, it's like one of those microwave dinners. It's kind of the life beforehand, right? And now you're getting a, a sushi buffet. So I don't, I don't blame people for being afraid of the power because of the, the shifts that happen. But I think what people struggle to, to recognize and realize is that in the shifts, not only does your life change, but the external no longer matters. Like you get to be the driver hmm. of your own life once you're in your pleasure. So if there's something happening in your marriage, cool. You don't have to go change it, but you can sex magic that shit out. You can, you can do crazy stuff with your body and it'll actually a hundred percent change the dynamic in your marriage. Right. Hmm. And I've seen this over and over again. It's because you're tapping into this channel of energy. That's like, so beyond something that your, your logical mind can understand. Mm -hmm. mm. It's pretty amazing. I yeah. love that answer. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, so is that when, when you were saying before that, that the, your first time to really experience pleasure was a few years ago, was that the instance? Of that? Uh, no, no. The instance was, it was a few, we, few, I'm so bad with time. I'm always like a few years ago, which is like 1999. And I'm like, I don't know when that was. I really, I should have like, like a, like a time timeline, <laughs> like Genevieve's life. Like, Cause I don't know. And I wouldn't even be able to create it. Like I would, it, someone else would have to do it for me. I had no idea. But, um, cause time doesn't really matter. And when you're living in pleasure, you stop giving a shit about time. Right. Um, but no, the first time that I ever experienced pleasure was like fully. So that anal orgasm, awesome, right? Orgasms beforehand, awesome. I had amazing, my sexual experiences during my twenties were fucking awesome, especially post-divorce. Like I just went crazy. I was like, this is so fun, right? Like crazy, awesome, all sorts of lovers. So fun, loved it. And I would have crazy hot sex and then the person would leave and then I was stuck in my shit again, <laughs> mm. right? So I was stuck in struggle and, and pain and my emotions were all over the place. Um, I really struggled to feel passion for my life and my money was a shit show. Like, I had no money. So I, to me, when I really reclaimed pleasure, it was when I started to reclaim it 24 hours a day. And 
I think this is another place where people go, that's not possible. And I'm like, yes, it is. And they're like, not with my kids. And I'm like, I promise with your kids. Like mm-hmm. I promise with whatever's happening, you can still be in pleasure. So the turning point for me in this was, it was right after that, that boyfriend that I was talking about left. And I was in this place of like total desolation, desolation, desolation. Is that a word? Desolution. I don't know what the word is. There's a word. Desolation. Desolation. Desolate. Tesla. Something like this. <laughs> Can you tell what I was doing in high school? Um, so I was in that space, you know, and thinking to myself, I'm going to be a single mom forever. I had a three-year-old when my part, when that boyfriend left and we were going to get married. It was very dramatic, right? Mm. It was like, I only knew drama at that point. So like my life was that. And I was at the point where I was like, I would literally kill myself if I didn't have my son. He was the only thing anchoring me Mm. to my life at that time. I would just sit here and cry. It was horrible. Um, And I remember turning to my mentor at the time, who's who at the time was Jaya, who's now a colleague, but she's the creator of the erotic blueprints. And I turned to her at that time and I said, I don't know what you're going to do with me, but I cannot live the way I'm living for like another week. Like we're done. Like I can't even do another week like this. I'm not going to make it. And she, I went to her, her, I was with her and her partner, Ian in Boulder, Colorado. And I Mm -hmm. spent the day there and they worked some crazy magic on my nervous system that I'd never had done on my system before. Like it was seven hours of their hands on my body and crying and screaming and past life stuff. And then like rebirthing experiences and then like all sorts of weird orgasms and lights and like crazy. And I left that day realizing that I was the creator of my own universe, which I had never actually felt in my body. I felt the oneness of all beings, which I'd never actually felt in my body. I knew that addiction and depression was just an illusion. I had never felt that in my body. Like all of these things became so real and and clear. Call it my remembrance day. It was December 15th. Who knows what year it was, but I remember that day. Mm-hmm. And, and then from then, in order to make it integrate and stick in my body. So this is where a lot of, like a lot of my clients do medicine journeys all the time, right? They're like in that world, but then they come home from it and then it's like nothing happened. They might have slight shifts, right? But the, yeah. the, the integration phase is really hard. Mm-hmm. Once you know what truth is, you're like, ah. So I was in that place and I said, I, I, I was really, really adamant that I didn't go back to seeing the world the way that I used to because I it was too painful. So I had this very strong dedication to, I would put my son to bed and for about two hours before I started working, I would sit in this room. I love this room. It's this little tiny room that I'm talking to you in, and it's this like tiny, t- it's like a womb, you know? Mm. I feel so safe in it. So I'd close the door to this room and I'd lie down. And I had no idea how to self-pleasure because up until that point, self-pleasuring was a vibrator, you know, on a bed of hundreds. Like that's how the sex workers do it, right? So that's mm. all I knew. Um, but I had no idea how to actually be intimate with myself and gentle with myself and like feel my aliveness in my body but I knew that my body had pain in it. I had a chronic illness at that point, all sorts of shit. They said I had fibromyalgia. I don't know. There was like, everything was falling apart. So I closed the door and I said, I'm just going to lie here on the floor and I'm going to cry and I'm going to feel the pain in my body. 
And I'm going to just hope that this will somehow concretize the learning that I just had. And it almost felt like I was God holding myself. Like that was the, the best way I could describe the feeling in those days. Took me about three months. And then all of a sudden my self-pleasure practice became orgasmic. The first three months, it was hell. It was like, you're going into all your past traumas. We're going to show you more traumas. That's like, oh God. <laughs> but I knew I couldn't turn to anyone else anymore because I'd had the realization that I was my own teacher. And mm. on that day, I was like, I'm the only one that can change my life. I really understood that. People mm. can help, but the real, it's going to be an internal shift, right? Um, and then it become more orgasmic. So those three months of my self-pleasure practice, I was doing the kind of dirty work to, to get to, and, and it has not changed since then. Like I don't have bad days and mm -hmm. people are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, no, I really don't have bad <laughs> days. I haven't, I don't remember the last, I mean, it must've been at least a year and a half ago, the last time I had a bad day. Wow. That says a lot that we just had 2020. <laughs> Like really, I know, I know. And part of me feels like a total asswad because I see, you know, my friend died. I had shit happened mm -hmm. in 2020, but that those days weren't bad. Yeah. They, they, it was just deep feeling. That <laughs> was, that's the, that's a massive shift because most people's nervous system associates bad with having to feel bad, having to exist in your body poorly. So yeah. if there is a bad emotion or a bad event or something sad, then your body's like, now I'm going to be a concaving avalanche. I'm just <laughs> going to fall in on myself. Yep. And so what I'm hearing from you, what I see from you, and, and I relate to this as well, because this is, this is how I am as I am too. And it's really fucking incredible to live this way where you let your grief break you open and it only yeah. brings you closer to the divine, which brings you closer to pleasure because you're feeling alive. Yeah. What, it, what is it to be in a human body where we can smell and taste and touch and feel and cry and grieve and, and then fall in love and have our heart broken all over. All exactly. Over, all over. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I mean, it, it's like, and I'm getting to the age I'm only in my thirties, but I'm getting to the age where friends of mine are dying. Cause I have a lot of friends that are a lot older. I've had mentors since I was like, I was kind of a crazy, you know, loner child. And so I found mentors, like the universe brought me people and they're, those are, they're all in their seventies. Like they're, wow. you know, and, and so I'm at the age where death is very here. Mm -hmm. It's very present. I have a friend die probably once a month, someone goes Wow. and and I'm at this space of just recognizing if the only thing there is to fear in the human life is, is death. Cause I'm, you know, we're not afraid of what are we really afraid of when we feel emotions, hmm. right? What are we really afraid? Okay. We're afraid that we are going to maybe go insane. Maybe I've, I've heard that. And that I, I, there are definitely moments here in this this room where I was like, holy shit, if I don't snap out of this, I'm going to need to be institutionalized, <laughs> like rocking and screaming. It was crazy. So like, I get it, right? There's this definite fear of, and I've been institutionalized and it ain't that bad, right? So just saying, like, I've done it all y'all. So if you're you scared, really have. <laughs> if you're scared, it's not that bad. Um, so that's one fear, but then that institutionalization or going crazy or staying stuck in depression, what we're actually afraid of is that we're going to be taken out of society in some way that will be away from our family that will be isolated 
And isolation is probably the worst human punishment that we could have. That's why we have, you know, that's why solitary confinement is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so if that's our biggest, deepest fear, but then we remember that we're never actually alone because we're all one being, right? So then that fear is taken care of. It's like, okay, never mind. I'm not really afraid of isolation anymore. So then what am I afraid of? Okay, I'm afraid of death. Okay, so then we look at death. What is death really, (laughs) right? And we get really clear on it. It's really just a release of the human body. And if you, for me, I'm self-pleasuring so often that I'm transcending my body and I'm also in my body, but I'm also transcending my body. I can kind of go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I, I recognize that there's something that's so much bigger than just this kind of like little body that's operating as Genevieve. I like, Mm. that's not actually Genevieve, you know? And I know that that's not actually who we are. We're not just these little bodies. So can, when we can release that fear, then there's nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and then what's possible, mm. right? So then I, then I think, then that's when I think about, well, you know, we've got this year where our business is probably going to hit a million. What the fuck is that? Why? Because I'm not afraid. <laughs> I'm not afraid of hurting people's feelings. I'm not afraid of like none of that, none of that actually matters. Mm. And when we're so aware of that. It's like, oh. I can just kind of play. I can just mm. kind of do what I want. Um, I'm not afraid of moving far away or I don't know, like other things that people stop themselves from doing. Sabrina and I are thinking of moving to Hawaii oh and, and we're that's like, why you're visiting. Cause you're that's why we're visiting. Cause they're thinking yeah. of moving, um, you know, but, and, and a lot of people would be like, well, your parents are aging. Don't you want to be close to your family? Don't you? And cause we love our, we're really family people. Hmm. And, and I'm like, but they're right here. They're in my body, like we're one being. So we don't have to be afraid of that, right? So anyway, tangent a little bit, but I think fear, fear is the biggest thing that's holding people back from living what they want to be. They truly want to be living. And when they can recognize that like, oh, what am I actually afraid of? It's like, I don't know. What are you afraid of? Probably just an illusion of what you think could happen, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, wow. It's so inspiring. Honestly, it's so inspiring what you've been through and the way that you're able to put it into words in a way that's like understandable. Cause sometimes when people are so unafraid or in their bliss or in their pleasure, it doesn't feel super grounded and relatable and understandable. And so I just want to praise you for the way that you're able to alchemize that experience and and make it like, oh, I get what you're saying. And that makes sense. Like it actually makes sense and feels really good to to hear and receive. That's been a journey. I appreciate it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I just have... I don't know. You tell me if you have some space and time for this, this last question I have for you. Yeah. Cause I know we're getting up on the hour, but I, I just want to know if there's, cause you're in an, you're a, um, for anyone who's not familiar with the erotic blueprints, Genevieve teaches them. They're really quite fascinating. She did a class in my CSU society course on it, which was just so fun. We got to discover our erotic blueprint. And one <laughs> of the things that you'd shared being a shape shifter, which means you're all of the different flavors mm-hmm. is that you are, I don't know if the word is satisfied, but not, you want to have multiple lovers and partners and you're married. So Mm -hmm. I just want to know how that has 
felt particularly, okay, so this is like a two-part question. Like, how have you welcomed in new lovers into your life during this time, the pandemic, where we can't really, you know, find people and socialize easily? Because I imagine for a creature like you, that's quite challenging, can Mm be, when Mm -hmm. you want to have all the yummy sex. And (laughs) then um, just how that feels to be in a relationship where you're married, but you're still welcoming in new partners and like the Mm. expansiveness that's come from that. I know that was kind of a long question. No, it's okay. (laughs) You're great. I love talking about this. Um, Part two, we'll go deeper, but I'll give you the gist, the summary of it. So, um, so first of all, we're not yet married. We're going to be married at some point. We're engaged. We just like calling, we just like calling each other, each other's fiance, which is the only reason we're not getting married because we just (laughs) like that. We like that word. I'm like, that's way hotter. Cause what do you call a non-binary person? That's spouse. They'd be my spouse. And I'm like, hmm. that word's not as sexy. Fiance is way hotter. Yeah. Anyway. So we're holding, we're waiting for the, we're going, I mean, they're not Love going it. anywhere. So we're, we're waiting for it. It'll happen at some point. So I've been non-monogamous from the second I can remember, you know, and I think it's just my shapeshifter nature. I need a lot of variety. I like a lot of variety. I'm here to explore the caverns of sexuality. Like I don't want to just sit in one way. Right. Um, so, I mean, at 12, I would just cheat on people all the time. Like that was my way of being a shapeshifter. I didn't know how to, mm. uh, you know, and then I'd feel so bad and I'm like, Oh, I'm a shapeshifter. I just mm-hmm. am not monogamous. Um, and you don't have to be a shapeshifter to be non-monogamous, but it's a common trait that you usually, mm. you know, mix. Um, so I, on our first date, I told Sabrina that I was non-monogamous. They didn't even know what that meant. Right. So they were like, okay, but they were so enamored with me that they just kind of agreed to it. <laughs> and we're like six months in and I'm like, so babe, like we need to have a conversation about this. I, I have lovers. I, when I started dating Sabrina, I had seven lovers. So I already had, and they're all over the U S they're incredible. I love, they're like family. I love them mm. with every ounce of my being, um, beautiful humans that I've known for years. And we just happen to have sex to me. It's, to me, it's kind of like my lovers are my best friends that I like to get sexy with. Mm. <laughs> right? And I just call them lovers because I love them as yes, like, yes, yes. like I love them so much that I'm like, they're my lovers. Um, so how have we navigated it? We've allowed ourselves to feel every, like, I think the biggest thing with non-monogamy is so many people are like, have the conversations and set up the rules and all of that works to a degree. But honestly, what starts to happen with that is that people start tiptoeing around each other because I, I have a very high compersion rate. Compersion means mm-hmm. that like if Sabri- I love hooking up my partner with other people. I think it's so much fun. I love their, their specialty is turning straight women onto other vulva bodies. <laughs> and like, so we'll go to sex parties and I'm like, babe, just walk around and be hot and like go hit on all these. And, and I get turned on and I also oh. fall- I fall deeper in love with them. Like there's yeah. like this deep love and satisfaction that will take people out on dates. And I'm oh. like, yeah, you need to love people the way you love me. Cause the whole world needs to be loved by you is the way I see mm. it. Um, and so for me, it's really simple for Sabrina. Again, their first non-monogamous relationship, there were many more triggers and it was much harder, especially around men. There was like a thing around if I slept with a woman or a non-binary, it was fine. But a man, there was a trigger. <laughs> so I said, at one point I said to Sabrina, cause I kept being like, okay, I'll only sleep with women just for you. Or, okay, I'll ask you before every time. And then I looked at them and I was like, babe, can I be honest? I'm just going to do what I want. And I love you. 
And so if any of this brings up shit, I'm going to come home and I'm going to sit here for five hours and listen to you rage. And like, you can go all out. You can be as expressive as you want. You can tell me I fucking like, I am open to whatever you need to process. And that has been our biggest learning because it actually is bringing us closer. Mm. Every time Sabrina gets triggered, it's like, oh my God, I get to feel this trigger and heal my shit that I have. And my partner just gets to hold me there. So I see that as my responsibility to to be there for them and like, just love them in that space. But isn't that the responsibility of any part? I mean, in, mm-hmm. in many ways, right. If you're available for it, you show up for it. You know, your, yeah. your partner gets to feel things in front of you. Mm. Ooh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah. If you're available for it? Yeah. Show up because, for it. because sometimes you're not like, there could be times mm-hmm. that I'm like, I can't babe. I'm sorry. But we ask each other consent. Like they'll say, can you hold space? I've got some shit coming yeah. up. And, the and, revolutionary way to relate. Like I, instead of just like nonchalantly complaining, <laughs> have this awesome, deep container of full out, full bodied rage where both people yeah. end up getting to love more of each other. And then you're not thinking about it because yeah. love isn't something thought about. I don't, I don't need Sabrina to sit there and figure out like, well, why this hurt my feelings and like, la, la, la. none of that's needed. Mm-hmm. What I, what, what's actually needed is just for them to feel everything that, mm-hmm. and then for me to like, love them right there. Yeah. So, um, that's how we play with it now. And it's getting really fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Oh my yeah. God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I love you so much. You're just (laughs) such a beautiful, bright light. And, um, like there's just so much that the entire world can learn from you and your experiences. So thank you for being so down to be reincarnated in this lifetime and go through (laughs) what you've gone through and alchemize the shit out of it and turn it into this beautiful, radiant, blissful life. And for being a fuck yes to just like being who you are. That's truly what you are in this world is like you're so committed to who you are Mm -hmm. and that's what's been so I'm imagining blissful and expansive for you it's just you're you're making it work with all the ways that you are (laughs) I appreciate that thank you so much it was great to be able to share my story and your questions are awesome thank Mm. you (laughs) what are you up to now where can people connect with you online where can they join your work and and get your book what's it called oh my god all there's so much happening um there's always so much happening and i think the best thing is to just go to my website which is genevievepleasure.com and on genevievepleasure.com, you'll see kind of everything. The book is called Fuck Yourself Open. You can get it on Amazon. Of course. Um, classic. Classically classic. called on Fuck brand. Yourself. On brand. <laughs> um, and it's really, Fuck Yourself Open is an, it's, it's, it's an autobiography, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have teaching points in there, but it's it, it, the first book for me was like, I got to get my story out. And now I'm in the middle of writing my second one. And this one's going to be way more like how to do things and like living life. But Honestly, I think the story is more fun. So um, fuck yourself open is you'll learn all about those moments. There's so many fun, like pro dom moments <laughs> in there that are hilarious. So I talk about like Hasidic Jews coming in their pants and I don't know. Anyway, it's a great book. You got to get it. Check it out. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, I think my website will probably be the best way. And we have a great community on Facebook um, called the Pleasure Circle. There's thousands of people in there and they're all just committed to reclaiming their pleasure for themselves. They, everyone in there understands that their pleasure is their fucking responsibility, which makes me really happy. Um, which is why I love that community. They're like, yeah, how do we bring more pleasure into our own lives by our damn selves so we can go out and love everyone. Um, And that's so come into there. If you want to come hang out there too. Oh, it's an amazing Facebook group. So I highly recommend everyone go join it. It's amazing. Uh, I'll make sure the links to that are in the show notes to this. Great. And uh, uh, Genevieve, thank you so much. It's just an honor and such a pleasure. Thank you, my love. Thanks so much for playing. I'll see you soon. Oh, my, my, my. I love that woman so much. If you loved her too and you want to check out the workshop she led in the Sisu Society, you can go to maddiemoon.com forward slash Sisu dash society. You do not want to miss out on this erotic blueprint workshop. It will teach you the exact flavor that you love to express for your eroticism. And she's a pro, trust me. Again, the information for that lives on my website. Otherwise, if you want to connect with me, come head on over to Instagram and drop me a line. See you next week for another podcast episode.